Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This is the second of a doubleheader this week for the MMA Lockcast. And in this episode, we're going to be going over Bellator 291, which goes down in Dublin, Ireland, and is headlined by a welterweight unification bout between undisputed champion Yaroslav Amosov and his opponent, the interim welterweight champion, Logan Storley. This is actually a rematch of a fight that happened a couple years ago where Amosov got his hand raised by decision that night in a very closely contested three-round fight. But this time around, we got an extra two rounds to settle the score, so I'm interested to see how that fight goes down. Now, there's 18 fights on this card, so I'm going to try to rattle through them as efficiently as possible so we're not sitting here for two and a half hours trying to get this done within an hour, maybe an hour and 20 if that's where it, what it gets to, but I'm not going to spend too much time on a lot of these fights as... Let's face it, we know what Bellator is all about. There's a lot of showcase bouts. There's a lot of uh, setup bouts, a lot of layup spots for a lot of guys. And honestly, the the majority of this card is pretty much that. So uh, before I quickly jump into it, always reminder, hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. And if you want breakdowns on other promotions as well, including Cage Warriors, which has their first show of 2023 next week, I got you covered on the Patreon. Link in the description below. And oh, wait... UFC 285 breakdowns start dropping tomorrow as well, and then obviously you guys can expect the breakdowns or the podcast version of it on Monday of Fight Week. All right, let's not waste any more time, and I'll be referring to my notes here a little bit more than I am used to doing just because of how many fights there are and a lot of the guys that I'm still kind of getting familiar with and need to remind myself of what they're good at. So first fight of the night is Hassan Magomed Sharapov going up against Hafeya. Hudson obviously heavy heavy chalk on the Magomed Sharapov side and if that last name sounds familiar to you it's because he is the brother the younger brother of one's beat Magomed Sharapov who unfortunately hung up the gloves a little bit earlier than people are expecting him to now he's pursuing some line of work in the medical field I don't know if he's trying to be a doctor or something but that's pretty much what he's going for but thankfully his brother is still around to showcase the exact same style that Zabit normally fights with but Hassan might even be better it looks like he has a better gas tank. He can still throw flashy strikes very effectively, but he does his best work when he's able to get to the get to the ground, get his opponents to the ground, and he's able to transition flawlessly from position to position, getting to the dominant positions that he needs to either put a barrage of punches together to get you out of there via ground and pound, or eventually look for that submission uh, finish and get you out of there with an armbar or choke, whatever it might be. The kid's still young. Kid still needs some more experience and get his feet wet against legitimate competition. But I like the way that Bellator is slowly bringing him along because he could be a very hot prospect, similar to what they did with AJ McKee. The slow come up, do the same thing with Hassan here. He doesn't need to be rushed. He's very young still, but still has a ton of uh, good skill sets obviously high level training partners and I believe the world of him uh, as he starts to get this experience and really starts racking it up his opponent Rafael Hudson 
nothing special. He had a little bit of success against Kieran Clark, who fights later on in this card. Uh, but, you know, poor takedown defense, has some decent power and good explosiveness in the early going of fights. But if you can drag him to the ground, you're going to have your way with him. There's a reason Magomed Sharapov is a minus 1200 favorite in this matchup. So Magomed Sharapov inside the distance. I'd be surprised if this goes over the one and a half round mark. Next up, we're going to go with Stephen Hill going up against Joel Kowaja. Uh, Stephen Hill should be a cakewalk for him in this matchup as he is a minus 400 favorite, but it's due to the fact that he's going to have a significant grappling advantage here over Joel. Joel is an explosive striker with some good you know power in his hands and he actually started his mma career on a one and eight run he managed to put together six straight victories after that but came up short in his cage warriors debut against stefan bonner or sorry uh matt bot matthew bonner is the name sorry got my names mixed up there um but we saw that once you can drag this fight to the ground Joel is pretty much a fish out of water. He might be able to power out of certain situations b based on his explosiveness and his physique, but more often than not, he's going to be technically outdone on the mat, and that's exactly what's going to happen here with the BJJ black belt, Stephen Hill. I think Hill takes this to fight to the ground relatively easily and then finds a submission pretty quickly, takes home that easy win within, I'd say, the first five minutes of this fight. Next up, we're going to go with Danielle uh, Daniel Skatizi going up against Dmitry Hirtsenko. Uh, we'll start off on the Skatizi side, an SBG product, as a lot of guys are on this card. Uh, his striking needs a little bit of work. He's very wild and reckless when he closes the pocket with his blitzing attacks. He's very wide with his striking, which is why you see better technical strikers getting the better of him, just as we saw in the Tokov fight a couple of fights ago. But well, he does his best work when he's able to drag fights to the ground. When he is able to get that uh, that that body lock on you, drop down for a double leg, drag you to the mat, and really put you through the ringer, it's very difficult for a lot of opponents to deal with him in that aspect. But if he deals with somebody that can match him in the grappling realm and be a better technical striker, that's where he runs into issues, and that could be the issue here for him against Dmitry Hertzenko. Now, Hertzenko, still relatively unknown, relatively unproven. A lot of his opponents have been illegitimate you know what i mean they're just not the the best guys in terms of trying to figure out how good dimitri actually is but i like everything that i've been seeing from him so far he has good wrestling which i think will be able to he'll be able to keep up with skatizi here and then in the striking realm very fast some good technique big shots down the middle there's a lot of spinning stuff as well he's very explosive and he seems to have the cardio to pull a f to push a 15 minute pace if he needs to he's similar in the fact of skatizi that he likes to go out there and grapple and get his opponents to the ground, but he's very comfortable in the striking realm should he have to play it out there a little bit longer than he wants to. But again, relatively unproven, so I get why Skatizi is the favorite here. I just don't understand why he's such a big favorite. I don't mind the underdog shot here on Hertzenko. Again, I might be uh, eating crow after this matchup given the relative unknown on the Hertzenko side because of the lack of competition he's been going up against. But from the raw tools that I see of him, I think he can make this a pretty close fight and I think he can actually get his hand raised by decision. So I'm going to go with the underdog here and take Dmitry Hertzenko. Next up, let's go to Kenny Mokonoana going up against Craig McIntosh. 
We know what this is. This is a straight-up squash match. Kenny, an SPG product, very... Uh, he's an athletic specimen, if I'm being honest. He's, he's very physical. He's very strong. He's fast. He uses his length and his, his speed to be safe in the striking realm, but he does his best work when he's able to drag opponents to the ground and just smash them on the mat or look for a submission victory. He's very aggressive with his submissions as well, even when he finds himself on his back, which is where he's gotten a couple of his victories as well. I like... What we see from him, he's still a raw product. He still has a lot of greenness to his game, which is why Bellator is matching up the way that they are. There's a reason he's minus 900 here. Craig McIntosh, 3-4 and four record. You know, he has a decently aggressive BJJ game off of his back, but if he can stuff the first couple attempts, you're going to be able to deal with him. You're going to be able to smash him on top, and then you'll be able to get that submission yourself or that ground and pound finish as well. So, cakewalk in the park here for Kenny Mokonoana as he gets this done, I believe, in the first round. Next up, let's go to Alina Kalianidu. I feel bad that I'm going to be butchering a lot of these names, but that's the that's the roll of the dice here with this European card. Uh, like I said, Alina Kalianidu going up against Jenna Bishop. Uh, Kalianidu started her Bellator career 0-4, losing pretty much every single one of her matchups until she's been able to put together two straight victories now. Good work from her. She's showing her development. She's 24 years old, which means that when she made her first Bellator fight or Bellator debut, she was only 18 years old. So she's still very raw, still very young, and she's gotten a decent amount of experience under her belt now where she's been able to put together some solid work. It seems like her bread and butter is her striking. She throws in good combinations. She has decent distance management, and she has good speed with the combinations, which allows her to dish out good uh, damage to her opponents or accumulative damage to her opponents. Her ground game is somewhat improving, but I still can't get the fact out of my head that she managed to get out grappled by Beck Rawlings. And that's a huge red flag for me. And sure, she's probably made improvements over the last two, two and a half years, but I still think that she's going to end up struggling, uh, you know, uh, against better jujitsu players. And that's what she's facing this weekend in Jenna Bishop. Now, Bishop, she's a little bit older, 37, 38 years old, and she got a relatively late start in MMA as she only had her first fight, I believe, in 2021. But she's managed to go 5-0 and in that amount of time, and she's put, or sorry, 4-0 in that amount of time, and showcase what her high-level jiu-jitsu can do for her in the MMA world. She's able to get fights to the ground, she gets the back of her opponents, and either she grinds them out or she's able to find that rear naked choke and get them out of there. I don't think she has a very high ceiling because of how late of a start she got in mixed martial arts, but that grappling and that strength that she showcases will be very beneficial for her against a lot of women in this or at this level of MMA, specifically in the Bellator realm. She got a couple wins on the LFA scene against some decent prospects, most notably Diani Barbosa, who picked up a couple big wins over the last couple months in LFA and I think that Bishop will be able to come out on top in this matchup against Alina. My two holds ups are the fact that she's 37 years old and the other fact that Alina is improving on a fight to fight basis so if she's able to improve her takedown defense which in my opinion still needs a lot of work but if she can keep this fight upright she's the better striker here. 
Now, Bishop's not like, you know, she's not Damian Maya on the feet by any means. Like, she has a decent striking game, but it's just below average. It's definitely uh, going to be a hindrance for her against Alina here. But I believe in the fact that she'll be able to get that double leg, drag this fight to the ground, get the positions that she needs to, and from there, she'll be able to secure a uh, dominant position. I don't know if she'll be able to get the submission. Um, I have very low confidence in terms of the method of uh, victory here for Bishop, but at minus 160, uh, worth a little bit of a shot considering the grappling advantage she's going to have in this matchup. Next up, we're going to go with Asail Adjuj going up against Liam McCracken. Very intriguing fight here. And I got to say, after all the tape that I ran, I'm very impressed by the... Uh, or sorry, I'm very much looking forward to this matchup. Both guys have very solid... Uh, um, uh, tools, uh, they're solid prospects. They have some solid potential as well. Starting on the Ajud side, he's a, a more of a kickboxer. He likes to strike, has some good combinations. He's shown some decent developments in his grappling game, especially after the first loss that he ended up taking in his Bellator career. But I think that's still a part of his game that's going to need some work here. You know, when he is on top, you know, it's difficult to tell that he has a grappling issue because he's so dominant from on top with the elbows and ground and pound he's been able to land against past opponents. But when he's on his back and when he's continuously getting taken down, that's where you see his issues start to come to light. And that's where I think that Liam McCracken, the underdog in this matchup, is going to be able to have the advantage. He can take this fight to the ground. And I think that even though he needs some polishing in the striking realm still, he'll be able to close that distance, get his wrestling going, get this fight to the ground, and start grinding out at Juge. Um, I'm not 100% sure if McCracken will get the finish, but I think that he'll be able to secure those positions long enough that he'll be able to get the judge's decision. Uh, you know, this will be his fight to lose if he's not able to keep this fight on the ground. I, I really believe that he'll be able to control Ajuj for the majority of this fight. Ajuj is still making developments and improvements, don't get me wrong, but I still think that it's too soon for us to have seen enough improvements for him to deal with the grappling game that McCracken brings to the table here. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go against the SBG guy here. I'm going to go with the underdog McCracken, and I think he gets his hand raised via decision. Next up, we got Dara Kelly going up against Dorval Jordan. Huge chalky favorite here on the Kelly side who uh, likes to utilize his grappling approach. He drags fights to the ground and he, um, no, he mauls some of his opponents from on top. But uh, I believe in his last fight, he was he was forced to go the full 15 minutes. But that's a good learning lesson for somebody still so young in their MMA career. Because from you know getting that experience this early in their career going the full 15 minutes not getting your opponent out of there quickly will allow you to utilize those skills in future fights when you start taking the inevitable steps up in competition we know what the whole point of this matchup is right dorvel jordan comes in with a two and two uh in my best bets and props article here i have it listed as bellator or UFC debut. I meant Bellator debut. He has a two and two record coming into Bellator here. He's very athletic, has some solid explosiveness, but he's very timid in terms of his output and his takedown defense needs a lot of work. So yeah, it's pretty obvious that Dara Kelly is going to be able to drown this guy, take him to the mat, and I think a finish will come within the first six to seven minutes of this matchup. No need to go into to a, to a whole lot. Kelly still raw in certain aspects of his game, specifically the striking realm. So he doesn't want to play out too much on the striking realm here. But I have no doubt that he'll be able to drag this fight to the ground and have massive success, massive success from that top position. Next up, 
Piotr Nidzuluski going up against Richie Smolin. Intriguing fight here. We'll start off on the Poles side or the, the Polish fighter side here. Uh, he made a successful U uh, Bellator debut last time around against Pedro Calvario in a fight that was really starting to slip away from him in the latter aspects of, or the latter rounds of that fight as Pedro's cardio was a far better cardio game than what Piotr was showing that night. Piotr, we see throughout his career that cardio does seem to impact his game, but he has very slick boxing, good power in his hands, good speed in his hands, and the fact that he can secure power double leg takedowns to kind of find moments to rest and really control his opponents, that's where he's successful. That's where he can really start to dictate the pace. In the Pedro Carvalho fight, he struggled to do that because Pedro was so good in terms of getting back to his feet and getting back to dishing out damage. Unfortunately for Pedro that night, uh, Piotr did too much work in the first 10 minutes that he was fine with cruising in that third round and then still picking up that decision victory. Piotr, I think his ceiling is going to be capped because of that cardio issue that he has, but he's very dangerous in the early goings of fights because of his big power and the fact that he's so strong from on top when he gets takedowns is very difficult to deal with for a lot of opponents. But Richie Smolin, a veteran of the game now, he was on the Ultimate Fighter 27 back in 2018. He was forced to pull out of the competition because he had cramps the day of his fight, which gave his opponent the automatic W that night. But the UFC still gave him a chance on the finale where he ended up coming short against Luis Pena. I believe he's gone. Uh, let me get the exact number here. Uh, he, he's been 6-1 and one since that loss to Luis Pena. He lost a close split decision back in February 2020 for Bellator, but we know what his game is. He wants to get you to the ground, he wants to try to grind you out, and he wants to try to finish you as well. He His striking game, very suspect. He, you know, he, he has very poor striking defense. I have no doubt that Piotr is going to be able to touch him up on the feet and possibly even knock him out in the early goings of this matchup. But the aggressiveness and pressure that Smolin fights with makes him live to win this fight the, latter, the later that this fight goes. You know, it's similar to Pedro, but I do think that uh, Smolin has a little bit more of that finishing gene in him compared to what Pedro has. You know, I think that Smolin will be able to get takedowns later on in this matchup and possibly finish Piotr uh, should this fight go into deep waters. My official prediction is actually going to be Piotr by first round knockout, but the spot that I like the most is the fight doesn't go to decision. It's roughly hanging around even money, but I think that both guys are very much capable of going out there and getting the finish. Early for Piotr, late for Richie. I'm going to go with the former here as I think that Piotr puts his punches together better i think you'll stuff the initial couple takedowns that are coming his way from smolin that will force smolin to strike and that's ultimately going to be his downfall as piotr lands that big shot and knocks him out like i said in round one next up we're going to go with Brian Moore versus Luca Jovin. Uh, Brian Moore, 35 years old. He's looking for a win number 16 this weekend. Uh, he's a decent all-around fighter. Uh, you know, I'd say somewhat average. He's not able to get over that hump of beating the next level up of fighters, which we've always seen him come up short against. But he's a solid striker. He keeps his base under him very well. Not often do you see him off balance. Uh, his grappling game, not too shabby either. But he just doesn't have that extra gear. I don't know why Alfred's barking here, but 
that's totally fine. Uh, if he barks again, I'll be sure to uh, cut that out. But in regards to, to Brian here, uh, I think he has Luca covered pretty much everywhere. Luca, you know, he's on a three and seven run since starting his career 15 and one. Uh, you know, he's able to throw submissions off of his back, but if he's not successful with it, he's only been successful with it against abysmal level of competition. But sometimes he's just too. Uh, accepting of being on his back and that's what causes him issues which allows his opponents to get their uh their hand raised more often than not he's only five foot four which usually means he's at a height and reach disadvantage in his fights and i think that will allow brian moore to really be successful with landing his combination striking and if he wants to take this fight to the ground he'll be successful in doing that as well Yaivin, I don't know where he's going to win this fight. Like, I don't think his grappling is good enough to grind out Brian Moore, nor do I think his striking is good enough to, you know, win big minutes here. Like, he could get a Hail Mary knockout. That's obviously possible. But I think for the majority of this fight, he's going to struggle with trying to catch Brian Moore here, which will allow Brian to get off on better combinations, better takedowns. And I think he'll ultimately win this fight via decision. Next up. Hyped prospect here in Norbert Noveni Jr. going up against Andy Manzolo. Noveni Jr. hasn't fought since uh, 2021, I believe it was, as unfortunately he tore his ACL. Sorry, was it 2021? It was either 2020 or 2021, but uh, he spent you know a long time out of the cage because he tore his ACL, which kept him out of live competition, but he was a very hyped prospect. You know, he made his Bellator debut at 19-0, and 0, uh, very hyped because he's been grappling since the age of four. His father was a Greco-Roman Olympian back in 1980, and obviously you got to believe that Norbert has been spending the majority of his life on the training mats and crafting this game of his. Uh, he's a high-level judo player. He's a high-level jiu-jitsu player as well. Uh, his striking very much takes after Michael Venom Page as they are training partners, but it's a lot of empty striking. Like He's not effective or as effective as Michael Page's. It seems like he just uses that like that 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 blade style stance uh, and that hopping stance to just stay out of trouble from his opponents and then use that that forward lunging movement to get in on a takedown attempt to get his opponents to the ground and grind them out or find that submission which he's been able to do more often than not but in his last fight he got cracked pretty bad with that weird striking style that he had and i'm wondering to see or i'm curious to see if he's going to be a little bit better with his striking defense or at least his footwork uh going into this next fight his opponent Andy Manzolo a huge uh, or sorry a, a longtime veteran of the game uh, he has a 15 year age advantage if that's what you want to call it as well as 30 plus fights of experience over what uh, Norbert brings to the table here but the majority of Manzolo's opponents that he's defeating are guys that he shouldn't even be sanctioned to be fighting against He's a, he's a BJJ black belt. He stays uh, um, active with that jiu-jitsu competition. Uh, and you see whenever he fights, he wants to get fights to the ground so that he can work for that submission or that TKO finish. In his last appearance for Bellator, you saw him take on Charlie Ward. And you saw him too content with playing off of his back as Charlie Ward was able to grind him out from that top position for the majority of 15 minutes and win that fight by decision. That's the issue with Manzolo is he trusts his jiu-jitsu a little bit too much. And you can do that against a lower level of competition that he's getting his wins against, but you can't do it against a high prospect like Norbert here. 
My two holdups as to why I'm not so privy on taking the heavy chalk on Norbert. I am picking him to win this fight, but it's the recovery from the ACL injury and also the vast amount of experience that Manzola has. Maybe he does have uh, something up his sleeve here that could give Norbert some issues. But I think the youth advantage, as well as you know the fact that he's been grappling since he's four years old, will be more than enough advantages for Norbert to get his hand raised in this matchup. And I think he does it inside the distance within two rounds or so. Next up, a very intriguing heavyweight matchup here, one that I have my eye on between Gokan Sericham and Oleg Popov. Sericham, very, you know, a lot better than a lot of people expected him to be, especially after that first loss that he took at the hands of Steve Mowry. Gokan, very slick striker. You know, often training with guys like Gegard Musasi. He spent time down at Kilcliff FC as well, but he likes to, you know, travel the world and and train with a bunch of different uh of different styles and and coaches and training partners but he's very slick with the striking that is the best part of his game he's a bit of a hybrid heavyweight in the fact that he usually wanes around that 240 range where he's very agile moves well for a heavyweight and has very solid cardio as well he strikes very well in combinations he has good speed and he has a very slick jab that if he continues he sticks out there and has success with it frustrates his opponents causes them to make mistakes and he's able to capitalize with some big counters in return he has some nasty leg kicks as well and a good front kick up the middle which usually keeps his opponents at bay if it's not that jab that he's using effectively as well his grappling game is getting better and i love his urgency in terms of getting back to his feet when he is taken down but he's showing good competency in the clinch realm where opponents are trying to take him to the ground but he digs his underhooks he pivots up back out into distance and then he gets back to his handiwork which is a striking popov a 15 and 1 veteran making his bellator debut here last time around we saw him knock out bigfoot silva and seeing his reaction after knocking him out just showcases why bigfoot silva should not be fighting anymore popov as soon as he dropped him he looked down and he just started shaking his head he's like it was like almost he was disgraced or embarrassed that he knocked him out the way that he did popov you guessed it the guy likes to grapple he wants to take opponents to the ground. He wants to smash them from on top and try to get his hand raised by finish. But the level of competition he's been going up against, kind of sketchy. Like he's fighting some decent guys, but he's either fighting them way past their prime or if he doesn't, like if he's not able to get them to the ground, uh, his striking is just good enough to beat those guys who have almost non-existent striking. This will be the first time I think he fights somebody in their peak who could possibly, you know, uh, stop the takedowns and keep this fight in the upright position and then in the striking room Gokhan definitely has the striking advantage in this matchup I think a lot of people are letting the the of in Popov kind of sway them onto his side but I'm not fully sold on the Popov side here I think Gokhan has shown and uh, that his striking is definitely something that a lot of people will have frustrations with and have issues with and one thing that we've been seeing with a lot of judging nowadays is that they tr tend to score damage more than control so even if Popov has a couple minutes worth of control, even if it's pushing Sarah Cham up against the cage or dragging him to the ground but not doing any damage, I believe in Golkan's ability to work back to his feet and eventually start getting off on his striking, landing the more effective damage and getting his hand raised either by decision or knockout. I like him as an underdog in this spot. Not 100% sold on Popov yet, but I like the underdog price, like I said, on Gokhan, as I think he'll be more effective with his damage, make it look better for the judges, and get his hand raised as the underdog. 
Next up, we got Charlie Ward going up against Mike Shipman. Yes, the Charlie Ward, the relentless Charlie Ward, who loves to go out there and slang them hammers. He's obviously still doing the damn thing at the old age of 42 years old. But with age come wisdom, or comes wisdom. I wish that came off a little bit easier off the tongue, but with age comes wisdom for Charlie Ward, as we've seen him start to utilize grappling into his game now, where he's comfortable with taking opponents to the mat and grinding them out from on top. His submission defense has very much improved as he's been able to nullify any type of submissions coming off of his opponent's back, but he does a good job in terms of implementing that top pressure, landing some big shots from on top, and either getting a ground and pound finish or getting his hand raised by decision. He went on a recent three-fight winning streak, which propped him up in a position to go up against number two middleweight in Bellator, Fabian Edwards. And they had a, you know, Fabian obviously won that fight, but that fight was a little bit closer than most people expected. Obviously, the youth advantage, the athleticism advantage, and pure skill advantage of Edwards was the reason he ended up getting his hand raised that night. But Charlie Ward has shown that he can definitely evolve his game and showcase a full MMA arsenal to get his hand raised in, in some fights. This is a, a fight with Mike Shipman where he'll have the striking advantage, but Shipman will definitely have the grappling advantage. And I'm hoping that Shipman will be able to close that distance and drag this fight to the ground where he's able to have good success from on top because his striking game leaves a lot to be desired. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's a very uh wild and reckless striker and you see that throughout his fights where he's just you know he blitzes forward throws wide shots and he gets clipped for his troubles he is best served when he's able to drag opponents to the mat and grind them out from on top and i think he'll have no problem doing that here against charlie ward my only issue is like i said ward's been showing developments even at this stage of his career so even if he works his way back to his feet a couple times I will be shitting my pants the entire time if I have money on Mike Shipman because he could absolutely get cracked and knocked out. He just, he does not react well to getting hit. And Charlie Ward is definitely one of those guys that could give him issues in that realm. However, I think Shipman's grappling game is good enough to continuously get this fight to the ground, grind out Ward, and eventually win this fight via decision. Next up, we got Carl Moore going up against Message Rosansky. Uh, intriguing fight here. More, uh, you know, f was the former Cage Warriors light heavyweight champion. Uh, he managed to pull off a big upset victory in his last matchup against Carl Albrechtson, uh, a fight where he had a very tough first round and then in the second round was able to turn the tables, hurt Carl, and eventually put on a, a submission of his own and he was able to get his hand raised. He's a, you know, a decent all-around fighters uh, fighter. He throws in combinations. Uh, he has a good takedown game as well if he needs it uh, and the fact that he's still only 31 makes me believe that he can go out there and continue to make improvements his opponent Rosansky is coming into his second Bellator fight here uh, where he was able to pick up a win over Lee Chadwick last time around Chadwick was pushing him up against the cage for the majority of their fight but Rosansky was able to continuously get enough uh, distance and damage off that the judges eventually saw that fight in his favor but I think that that's where Rosansky could potentially get caught up here. I think that we'll see more grind this fight out in, you know, that, that top position if he can get the takedowns in the clinch position. I think he'll be the stronger of the two. And, you know, Rosansky is 
competent in the striking realm, but I think that Moore will do a good enough job in terms of nullifying that by tying him up and eating up clock with control time and chippy choppy damage that he can land. I like the over one and a half more here because I think this fight's going to be fought at a pretty slow pace. I like the Moore side, not a big fan of his money line, but I would rather lean on the over one and a half more than anything here. Let's go more, more by decision. Next up, we got hot prospect Kieran Clark going up against Leonardo Sinis. Sinis, the only fighter to miss weight for this upcoming card. Uh, but this is a horrible matchup for him. Kieran Clark, uh, a very, like I said, highly touted prospect out of the SPG camp. He's been hurt a couple times in his in the early portions of his fights, but he always manages to come back, get the takedown game going, get the grappling game going, and either find a submission or grind his opponents out over 15 minutes and get his hand, ra- hand raised by decision. He's very difficult to deal with when he's able to get you to the mat. He has crushing top pressure, and he transitions from position to position very well. Sinus. Horrible takedown defense and not a great striking game. He's going to need a Hail Mary KO here to beat a guy like Clark, but the fact that he cannot stop takedowns for his life will cause him issues in this matchup. I think Clark slices through him like a hot knife through butter, and I think it's going to be a very, very easy matchup for him. Minus 400 might even be a little bit too generous for a guy like Kieran Clark. Again, the the only concern Clark usually has going into his fights is that he can get clipped early in fights because his striking still needs work. But Sinis, no bueno. He's no good. I don't think he's all that good at all. We know what he brings to the table here. I like Clark. Clark inside the distance. Minus 400. Eat it all up. Next up, we got Sinead Kavanaugh going up against Janae Harding. Kavanaugh, an SPG Ireland product. Uh, Very, like like actually slugger is the name that i wanted to or the descriptive term that i wanted to use for her uh she likes to throw down she throws wild punches uh but she throws them from very weird angles that opponents have a lot of issues uh dealing with she has good pressure she's able to continuously move forward and put those punches on her opponent landing uh good accumulative damage throughout her fights uh obviously the weakest part of her game is her grappling but she's done a very good job in terms of working on that working on reversals and working to get back to her feet but I think a lot of opponents struggle in dealing with her striking game because she just marches them down and just throws down with them uh Harding uh has a Muay Thai background uh she's been training with the city kickboxing guys for this training camp uh you see that when she is at her best she's able to operate from a kickboxing distance where she can let go on strikes uh land significant strikes from the outside uses good elbows uh her grappling game is probably the weakest part of her game similar to Kavanaugh so I fully expect this fight to play out in the striking room Uh, This is actually a rematch of a fight that took place in October 2018 where Harding was able to get her hand raised via cut because of a nasty elbow that she was able to land on Kavanaugh. However, had that fight gone on longer, I think we we would have seen Harding get frustrated with that continuous forward pressure and output of Kavanaugh, which is why I lean Kavanaugh ever so slightly in this matchup. I do think that this fight will go the full 15 minutes this time around unless there's another crazy cut that ends up opening up, but... I believe in Kavanaugh's ability to walk through those punches that she's inevitably going to have to eat and dish out even more damage and output of her own to eventually get her hand raised by decision in this matchup. Again, it's not pretty, and technically speaking, Harding is the better striker here, but I just don't think she's going to deal well with constantly being pushed on her back foot and dealing with the output that's coming her way in this matchup. 
So let's go Sinead Kavanaugh and Kavanaugh by decision. Next up, we got Peter Queeley going up against Bryce Logan. Very weird matchup here, but we got Queeley obviously being the uh, notable Irishman on the card. Uh, you know, maybe not quite Conor McGregor level, but he does have the crowd within the palm of his hands every time he walks out, especially to Zombie by the Cranberries. Uh, he's a slugger as well, similar to Sinead Kavanaugh. He likes to go out there, he likes to put punches together, and he tries to knock out his opponents more often than not. He has a decent striking game, uh, he puts good pressure on his opponents, but we see the weakest part of his game is the grappling realm. When you're able to get fights to the ground against a guy like Peter Quilly, you can do good damage from on top, you can grind him out, and he might be able to get back to his feet every now and then, but I think for the most part he struggles with dealing with guys that are continuously getting him to the mat, just like he did last time around against Benson Henderson. Logan or sorry Bryce Logan is riding high from winning or sorry um he was the LFA lightweight champion back in July of 2020 and came in to Bellator but has unfortunately lost all three fights that he's had with this promotion I'm not a big fan of his style because he just continuously moves backward and looks for opportunistic moments to just crash that pocket and let go with a couple of strikes but training with the guys over at fight ready I believe that he can put together a very solid overall game plan to beat a guy as simple as Peter Quilly. He can compete with the striking of Quilly, in my opinion, but I think it's going to be important for him to get the grappling game going to get his hand raised in this matchup. My only issue, though, with the Logan side is we don't normally see him go out there and grapple. I'm hoping that the guys over at Fight Ready have kind of hammered into his head that you need to follow a game plan specifically centered around the grappling game to get your hand raised in this matchup. And I think he'll be successful in doing that. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in it, but given that plus money price tag that we have on his name, I think it's worth a little bit of a shot. Again, his striking, he can remain competitive equally, but his constant backward movement is not going to favor well with the judges, especially fighting in the hometown crowd of Peter Quilly. So look for some takedowns here from Logan, but if he doesn't do that, if he just sticks with his regular game of fighting off of his back foot, hoping to land the more significant strikes off of countering, this one's going to be too close which would likely go Queely's way, but I'm hoping that the good game planning of the fight-ready guys will have Logan ready to beat a fighter of Queely's caliber. So I'm going to go Bryce Logan to pull off the upside here via decision. In the co-main event, we got Pedro Carvalho going up against Jeremy Kennedy. Carvalho has very much impressed me since the first couple fights I've seen of him in Bellator as he shows a offense-heavy and never-settling type uh, style. Uh, he throws in combinations, he throws in good output, he doesn't really have a lot of sting on his shots, which I think is ultimately the downfall in his style, because even though he moves forward and throws continuous shots, he's just not doing too much damage on his opponents. But the fact that he never really settles when taken down is a very positive uh, mark for him, right? We saw in his fight against Piotr last time around that even when he was taken down, he was constantly sprawling out, looking to work back to his feet, and then when he did, he was getting right back on the gas and putting the pressure on his opponents but he leaves a lot of openings for his opponents to counter him especially in the striking realm which is why you often see him get dropped with that straight down the pipe whether from the rear hand of his opponents whether it's the the left southpaw or the orthodox right hand coming down the pipe opponents are able to hit him over and over again and continuously drop him just does not look good and it ultimately nullifies all the accumulative work that he continues to do throughout his 15 minutes of work 
I think Kennedy, the better wrestler here, better grappler here, he might struggle a bit in terms of holding Pedro down, but I think he'll be able to do enough damage on the feet as well as land enough takedowns and damage from that top position to win this fight. The line is a little bit wide for my liking because like I said, Pedro's never settled style will always make him live in fights. But Jeremy Kennedy, I think, is a strong enough grappler and wrestler to keep Pedro in compromising spots long enough to accumulate enough damage for the judges to ultimately rule it in his favor. So I'm going to go with the Canadian here as I think that Jeremy Kennedy will be able to grind this fight out en route to a decision victory. That brings us to our main event of the evening where we got undisputed champion, or I guess, is it disputed? I don't know, because it is a unification bout where we got the actual champion, Yaroslav Amosov, going up against interim champion, Logan Storley. Now, the last time we saw Amosov in the cage, he defeated Douglas Lima, and he was able to get his hand raised via decision that night in a fight where he was able to dictate the pace with his superior grappling. He has a good striking game as well, as he showcased in the Logan Storley fight the first time these guys threw down, where Logan was obviously looking to grapple, and Amosov shut down that grappling game and was able to outstrike him on the feet, landing the more damaging blows. As that fight started to go on deeper, we saw Amos or Storley have a little bit more success in terms of getting the back of Amosov, but Amosov, even though it looked like he was slowing down, was staying very disciplined and composed in those bad spots and was able to eventually work back to his feet and getting back to his handiwork. Now we got five rounds. I'm fully expecting Amosov to be prepared for that five-round onslaught that Storley will be looking to bring here, but we've seen Storley struggle with a lot of split decisions in the past because a lot of his grappling does not inflict a lot of damage, and that's that's what I think is going to be the difference maker here with Amosov. You know, he might get taken down a couple of times, but he'll be able to work back to his feet, and then he'll be able to land the more significant blows on the feet where the damage will be counting for more towards the judges, and I think that will allow him to get his hand raised via decision in this matchup. Storley's striking style is just a little bit too wrestling-centric, if you guys know what I mean. Like, a lot of wide-winging hooks crashing the pocket with his blitz. No real, like, setup shots or combination striking, just overhand, overhand. That's it. It's either to knock you down or get in on a takedown so he can drag you to the mat where he ends up doing his best work. But Amosov is just too good of a fighter all around here. And even though he spent the majority of his last year or so fighting the war in Russia for his hometown or home country of Ukraine, I still believe that he's more than prepared for this matchup to keep his flawless record intact. I believe he's 26-0 and or 23-0. and Oh, sorry, 26-0. I believe it will be pushed to 27-0 this weekend when he's able to outwork Storley, land the more significant strikes, and win this fight by decision. I like the overs in this matchup. Over four and a half. I expect it to be competitive, but I think the champion, undisputed champion, retains his title once again, Yaroslav Amosov. And still, there we go. 18 fights all in one sit down. I can't believe I got through it all. Hopefully I was able to convey the information required to help you guys make some informative bets and decisions for the fights tomorrow. Hope you guys enjoy the breakdowns and I'll be back next week, early next week for the big UFC 285 breakdown. Not to mention we got Cage Warriors as well going down next week and PFL Challenger Series, all of which can be found on the Patreon as well. Check that out, link in the description below. Love you guys, appreciate you guys. Good luck on all your action this weekend. Peace.